0: Last week we discussed the vision, not only the vision of the church, but the far-reaching implications of that vision, that vision to love God, to love others, and to serve. We're building on that particular lesson. If you did not hear it, then it might um, serve you to go back and listen to last week's lesson. Tonight, I'm now launching into the next segment of understanding for this church. And interestingly enough, I suppose that what I'm teaching tonight is applicable for every church body. However, I'm really focused on where we are here. There is a book in the Bible that doesn't get a lot of airplay, I suppose. The book is Nehemiah. It has one general story that encompasses the writing of Nehemiah. And so I want to just start there, although probably multiple different places that we can begin. But let's just begin at this Uh, incredible feat of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. Nehemiah is commissioned to do it. The walls have been broken down in places. The gates have been dislodged. There are breaches in the wall so that animals and vagabonds and people can traverse through that open space. I will tell you that walls are very critical. They're very important. And in fact, the right walls in the right places not only insulate, but they, they also um, provide confidence and security. China's Great Wall protected the nation for around 4,000 years. It was never broken through. It was never traversed. The, the Great Wall of China. Only twice was China invaded. And that was from the barbaric hordes from the north. And they bribed the gatekeeper. That's how they got in. Because of those walls around China, their language was intact. And it's one of the only languages that have stayed pure or true uh, in in, in all of world history. Their languages, as you might know, um, more akin to pictographs. And because of those pictographs, they have a more pure language. Excuse me. One of, our, one of our missionaries came by a couple weeks back, and they were here, and we had them come to the house. And uh, he is a missionary to Japan. We started to talk about that Asian language. And it is incredible how quickly the Asian people receive the gospel. They they understand the Bible. And the reason why is because those walls protected the Asian people for many, many years. And those pictographs help them to understand the scripture. For instance, a pictograph would be more of a picture word, a, a word picture. Their, their picture or their word for flood, is a boat with the number eight on it. (laughs) So when we're talking about Noah and eight souls being saved by water, it's already in their mind. This is one of the reasons why China is having an explosive revival. Some of our reports are that there could be at least or up to 50 million people that have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and been baptized in Jesus' name in China. Of course, there is 1.4, 1.5 billion people there, but it's incredible what's happening around the world. When I go back to the wall, I realize that, that around Jerusalem, the wall was critical, because if there was not a protection of the wall, it didn't matter if the, if the temple had been put back into place, because there had to be a barrier. And Nehemiah was commissioned, he had the burden, but he was given the tools, To rebuild the wall. I will not spend too much time uh, talking about his opposition. But there was several moments of opposition. Some of them came from people you would have thought would be on his side. This happens from time to time. Where people you think should be encouraging you are the very people that discourage you. You don't have to raise your hand if that applies to you. But it has applied to me. Uh, A time or two. But when he rebuilt the wall, he found more than just broken down walls. He found broken down lives. So just for this consideration here, and this is on your paper, a boundaryless life, a life with no wall, a family with no conviction. May I just say this? I'll preach the word. I'll institute some protocols here. But you should be very careful in your life to establish your personal convictions. As long as you don't impose those convictions on other people or deem them to be matters of salvation for other people, everyone should have their own personal convictions. And these are important things. A family with no convictions or no honor or no protocols, no holiness standards. They all, this, these things always result in a broken life. The wall is the separation. And that's what we have to have, separation. So I present that just not really in passing, but I, I, I have to build from here. And I would just tell you that when the wall is complete, something does come next. What is the wall? What will you do? What will you not do? As I read, I I recognize the need to train the way that I think. I have to think in a different format. I think differently. I don't want to think random thoughts. Uh, The Bible says to bring every thought into captivity. This is what we have to do. You have to think Christianity. You have to think Christ. You have to think Bible. You have to think Scripture. I can't think scripture unless I have implanted scripture into my mind. So now after the wall has been completed, Ezra stands up to read the law. So the wall has been built and now Ezra stands up to read the law. And I have this on your paper. He read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. That's a long time before the men and the women. And those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They stood to hear the reading of the law. That's long church services. Four four hour services. Praise God. Let's do it. This wasn't the only time. Then in chapter 9, and when they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God, one-fourth of the part of the day. Think of that. And another fourth part, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. They spent a lot of time reading, repenting, and praising. What is it that they learned? Nehemiah 9.14. Here's what they learned. You made them to know your holy Sabbath, the commandments from precepts, statutes, laws by the hand of Moses thy servant. So they're reaching back to find out What these things were. This is what they're concentrating on. I'll just give you two, and there'll be more macro uh, view of this. The Sabbath. They learned about the Sabbath. A designated day. It did not belong to them. The Sabbath did not belong to them. It was reserved. It was a holy Sabbath. It was the recognition of God. And when they recognized God, they had to recognize that he was in charge of their life so it also helped them from working seven days a week and thus it it was the counter to greed stop making money stop bettering yourself the sabbath is here a holy sabbath this is a ten commandment do you know that the ten commandments say keep the sabbath holy did you know that Our Sabbath is not Friday night to Saturday morning because we recognize that Jesus rose from the grave early in the morning, the first day of the week. The first day of the week is Sunday. So our holy set-apart day is Sunday. Now, there used to be a day, a time in America when businesses did not open up on Sunday morning. Things were closed on Sunday morning because everybody went to church. In fact, when I was young that the same thing was true on Wednesday night. Everybody went to Bible study on Wednesday night. Today, there is no regard for a holy day. Now, I can take that from the world. I'm struggling with that in the church. I'm struggling with that in the church. I feel like we've got to get back to the simplicity of these things, and we the only way we do this, we have to rehearse what we know is true. And they learned the Sabbath. It was that, it was that holy day. They kept the Sabbath. They made sure they kept it. They didn't plan. They didn't, they didn't convolute it. They, they, they didn't distort it. It belonged to God. It was an important day. And if you can get that in your mind, that's the first way you start to re adjust your thinking you learn how to think if you would like to have stability and longevity in the church you have to readjust the way you think you think some things belong to god and i don't touch them or negotiate with them okay because if you don't think that way if you don't train your thoughts that way then you leave your mind open for other people to train your thoughts this is what's happening for many many years now there is a design from the prince of the power of the air to readjust your thinking so that you accommodate worldliness and ungodliness. You have to control the way you think. And if you control the way you think, it will it will come out in the way you speak. Amen. Sometimes when I hear people speak, I know they don't have control of their thoughts. You have to control the way you think. The second thing that happened was these principles, these ordinances, laws, rules, statutes, they rehearsed them, they knew them. This is not uh this is not part of the gentile makeup. This is not part of our lifestyle. And we have to learn these principles. Conduct. Uh, we're going to get into this but but conduct and roles and morality these were the statutes the principles the concepts of the jewish people and they had them and moses wrote them and they knew them when the gentiles came into the church in act chapter 10 they had to learn not just not just the new birth experience that was the starting point they had to learn or relearn how to live properly Men and women roles, children, c- conduct, finances—they had to understand how to live. This is where we are today, where we have to understand and think how we ought to live. So, hopefully, I'll get through some of this tonight. But I'm not going to labor all night long. We'll, there's there's perhaps more material here than I can than I can cover. But I just want to establish that. We have the scripture. This is the Bible. It's irrefutable. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word will not pass away. You can argue with it if you if you wish. It's all right. I did not write this. I'm not the author of it. There's many writers. There's one author. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. This is the scripture. If it's in the book, let's obey it. If it's not in the book, let's, let's figure out where that came from. The word or the explicit word is the starting point. And it's without negotiation. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. It's in the Bible. Give and it shall be given unto you. Forgive and you shall be forgiven. Are you struggling with these words now? This is, this is the Bible. Some of these are in even red letters for some of you people who love red letters. This is... This Bible is the book. This is the main filter for everything that you hear from this pulpit. The Bible says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. in that they receive the word with all readiness of mind. I wish we would receive the word with all readiness of mind. That means when you hear a good point, you say, amen. That's good. It's all right to talk back to me. But just in small words. Not like a full conversation. Amen, Pastor. That's good. Preach. That's good. <laughs> Not complete dialogue. They received the word with all readiness of mind. Who were they? The Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Why? Why? Because they received the word with all readiness of mind. They were, an- they were anxious and ready to receive it. And then the next part, part of the verse says, and then they went home, And did the research to see whether those things were so. If you receive it, and if you research it, then you'll know whether or not it's true. That's This is the litmus test for all things that you hear. It's the scripture. It's without rebuke. It's God's infallible word. It's his word. It does surgery on us. From the scripture, then we get to this next little part, and I didn't put this on your handout, but you can write. From the scripture is the principle of the scripture. So the principle of the scripture, uh, is the next level that we, that we use to conduct life or understand a precept. What is the principle of the scripture? Well, the Bible never uses certain terms or words because possibly there wasn't a translation for it, or maybe uh, they didn't have these types of inventions in that day. So I'll talk to you about something that's really gripping children today. From about eight years old, it's it this it's a thing called vaping. They're vaping eight year old on up. It, these are very accessible things, that so they can vape. And and there's all kinds. Of, these are these are. This is an introduction into smoking and then, and then marijuana and then for marijuana, harder drugs. This is a gateway concept, vaping. Well, there's no, there's no scripture about that in the Bible. So how do you talk to someone about illicit drugs? How do you, how, how can we describe, uh, uh, the, the, the boundary or the wall against certain things that are not in the Bible? Well, it doesn't we're not going to it's not going to tell you what movie to watch or what movie not to watch but it does say don't set any evil thing before your eye and it does say your body is the temple of the holy spirit so you treat your body as the temple of the holy spirit the the bible talks there's another little word that we that we never talk about and it's called surfeiting no, and it's not, you don't do that next to the ocean. It's not, it's not a wave. It's, you don't catch a wave. You, it's not on a board. Surfing is overeating. <laughs> Let's move on. There no, there's not one amen. Yes, listen, this is in the Bible. You take care of your body. Now, where do we get, we got the, we got the, the word, the principle of the word. And we also have with that, serving your own generation unto the uh, uh, as as unto the will of God. So there are certain things that we know today that are very prevalent that we need to be very careful of. Some are stylistic in clothing. Some are places we should go and not go. Some are things we should do and not do that the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us Where to go or where not to go. But we know there are some things we shouldn't do. Because we've taken it into this realm. Give no place to the devil. It's a broad scripture. So there's a few things that we should and should not do. Things we should and should not say. Clothes we should and should not wear. Things we shouldn't put in our body attitudes we ought not have. And so spiritual guidance gives that. This is these are these are the ways that we establish our lives, the word, the principles and spiritual authority as long as it all goes through the word of God. I just I believe that there are dreams given to people in the last day there'll be dreams and visions. I I, I grew up with a grandmother Who had spiritual dreams. She dreamed of the church my father would, mother would pastor before they ever arrived there. She dreamed it. She described the building, the front steps, the whole thing. She dreamed it. And it was not too long after that, my mother and father went to the church and they were pastoring that particular church. My mother has had dreams. I've had dreams. I had a dream about a situation when I was very young and I explained it to my mother and she said, Oh, that. That is a a word for for my aunt in a situation that happened. I believe that there are spiritual dreams. The Bible talks about that. I think that there are words from God. There's the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. These are part of the nine supernatural spiritual gifts. I believe all of that. I believe there's a word of prophecy. But I also know that none of those things uh, stand alone. They all have to pass through the scripture to be valid. Because there are people who use means to control other people. That's just called manipulation. So I will receive it with all radius of mind. And then what do I do next? I search the scripture to see whether those things were so. The Bible says we entertain angels unaware. And I think that I have done that. Sometimes I thought that was an angel, but he started smoking at the end of our conversation. And none of my angels... All of them have addictions, I guess. I don't know what's the problem. Okay, if you flip the uh, the page, we're going to do a little construct here, and I'll try not to get too deep into some of these explanations. But but we're we're getting we've got we're getting into. This uh, kingdom concepts and the health of our church and our lives. There is a a construct of the scripture. If If you would look at the scripture from beginning to end, you will notice the divine design. The Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world. So before God spoke the world into existence, in his omniscience, he knew where it would begin and where it would end. He is not in time. We are in time. He is an ever-present help in trouble. Not in the time of trouble, in trouble. He, he is the alpha. That means he's at the beginning. He's the omega. He's at the ending. Before you ever get to your day, he's already been there. Before you ever get to your battle or your trouble, he's already been there. Not one day passes in your life before it first passes through him. He is the beginning. He is the ending. He's the middle. He's the all and the all. So the divine plan was set in motion before there was disobedience in the garden. This is the scripture. Adam and Eve sinned through disobedience. They committed a sin. God already had a plan for redemption to restore communion before Adam and Eve sinned, before the foundation of the world. Adam and Eve, they are our father and mother, they are our predecessors. We have their nature in us. For better or worse, we have their nature, we have their issues. In fact, tragically, we carry their curse. Pain and childbirth. You'll labor the rest of your life by the sweat of your brow. The, 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 the fruit just won't fall into your hand. Eve, your desire will be towards your husband. You'll try to control him all of his life. And, but you'll, you'll have to listen to him. These are These are terrible things. People have been fighting for a long time. We're dealing with the nature of our of our father and our mother, Adam and Eve. They are prevalent, and they always poke their head up in everyone's life at different junctures. Yes. And Adam and Eve began this process, and then everything's fine, everything's going well. There's a tree in the middle of the garden, in the midst of the garden, and it is the antithesis of everything else. Thus God created the polar's Which led to obedience or disobedience. You cannot obey God if there's not a way to disobey him. And so he presented a tree and said you can have everything you want except for that tree. And this is the fruit that you cannot eat. Now the devil takes occasion with that. Because that was the draw. And Adam relinquished his spiritual authority. In fact in the New Testament you'll find out that Eve was deceived but Adam was not. Adam was not deceived. He knew exactly what was going on, but he wanted to appease his wife, and so he allowed her to have a conversation with the devil. And Satan spoke to her. And she and and she added things to the word of God because she didn't know what God had said. Shall you shall you are you going to if you eat this will you die? And she said if we eat this if we eat this, uh, we're going to die. And she added some things to it. Listen, Adam should have stepped forward at that moment and said, No, honey, we ain't doing that. First of all, that's the first snake that's been talking to us, and we ain't talking to snakes. Come on, now you guys ought to take a note. Don't let your wives talk to snakes. <laughs> oh... Snakes always try to sell you something you can't afford. All right, well, let's get off the metaphoric language, and we'll just go right back into literal. You have been the fall. Here is the fall. Within the first couple chapters of Genesis comes all the spiritual warfare that you're facing right now. Every spiritual battle that America is facing and the world is facing all of it resides in the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. All you have to do is read the first few chapters of Genesis. You'll find out what's going on in the world right now. He made them male and female. There's, there's a big one right there. What's going on? It's the devil fighting against what God created at the beginning. Male and female. What is, what is the spirit of the age? It's the spirit of perversion, of distortion, and of ignorance. I'm enjoying this tonight. I don't know how many more years we'll be able to do this, but I'm just going, going to say it while I have the chance to say it. And I'm not trying to rev anybody up or anything, although I get kind of heated. And I'm not trying to bring a social issue here. I just want you to know that everything that the Bible is presenting has been traversed upon from the world and our society. So this is not political. This is Bible. If you're on the other side, it's political. On this side, it's just Bible. And, and, and from that moment, when they took of the fruit, they disobeyed God. Now, b- before they disobeyed God, the Bible says they were naked and unashamed. And unashamed. The Bible says in the last days, people have their conscience seared as with a hot iron. When they disobeyed God, guess what happened? A conscience awoke because God implanted a conscience in everyone. When you do something wrong, you have a conscience that says you did bad. Who teaches little children your believe it or not? I'm so sorry to tell you your babies lie. They have an innate ability to lie. Now I know there's several grandmothers here would, would argue with me. Keep on arguing. Everyone has an innate ability because it's the nature that you got from your mom and your dad, Adam and Eve, because sin entered. And when they ate the fruit, their eyes were opened and they realized, hey, we are naked. When you are innocent, you don't know you're naked. That's why you're having family dinner and one of your kids get out of the bathtub and they're two years old. They're running around boogity boogity. Calm the streak. They don't know. They're innocent. But when you realize this is wrong, you put clothes on. Except when your conscience is seared with a hot iron, guess what happens? You take your clothes off. So now you've got a generation of people who have seared their conscience and decided what's right, what's wrong. That's called subjectivism. The fall... Was the, was the separation from God and man. There's got to be a way to connect God and man. And God killed the first animals. Why did he do that? Because Adam and Eve clothed themselves with leaves. They made clothes. They were the first seamstress, but they didn't do a very good job, and God didn't think that they were clothed well enough. So God made clothes from the skins of the animals. That he killed. Thus, blood had to be spilled to cover the sin. The Bible says in Leviticus, the life of the body is in the blood. The life of the body is in the blood. You can't live without blood. Blood blood transports all of your nutrients, your oxygens. In fact, in a freezing cold weather, your blood will leave your fingers, your hands, your arms, your legs, and it'll travel all to your midsection because it's going to protect the most vital organs. Your body will determine to lose hands and toes before it will lose lungs, liver, kidneys, heart, on all the midsections. You can't live without blood. You can live without a lot of things. You can live without a gallbladder. You can live without a kidney. People have lived without a brain. I've met them. You can live with many. You cannot live without blood. And in the fall, when the fall came, God said, "Okay, I'm going to sacrifice the animal to cover you." Thus, from that moment to the cross of Calvary, the Bible is a long trail of blood. Animals, oxen, sheep, goats, turtle, doves—the blood. But there's a problem in the first family now. I want to give you a little help if you feel like your family is dysfunctional. We're going to get down into healthy families. But if you feel like your family is dysfunctional, you do not need to raise your hand. Everybody knows. (laughs) I'm sorry. The first family had a lot of trouble. This is the first family. They didn't didn't even have TV or YouTube. Nobody was even on Instagram. And, And they didn't have any... There, was, there, there wasn't anything to lead them away. Jerry Springer wasn't even alive. And yet we've got issues here. We've got fighting issues. There's no shows with guns and knives and bullets. None of that. There's, there's Cain and Abel. And God said, bring me a sacrifice. Now we're going to institute sacrifice. Which means that sacrifices occurred long before there was a people called out. Abram was not the first to sacrifice. That happened in the first family. They already had instituted, this is not in the scripture, but we know there was an institution of sacrifices in the first family. So they're kicked out of the garden. They have, they have Cain, they have Abel, and they're making a sacrifice. God wants a sacrifice. Well, he's got the easy part because he's a shepherd. Cain says, I'm a farmer. And, and, and I, I have grain. So God, visits Cain and says, listen, bring me a worthy sacrifice. Sin crouches at the door. What he ought to have done was trade his brother grain for a lamb. But he did not want to admit, watch it, that blood was the only way to cover sin. So in the first family, subjectivism reared its ugly head. I'll do it my way. I can do anything my way. I'll determine what's good for me. Or as Nancy Pelosi just said to her priest, I can decide how I take communion. Now, some of you don't understand that because you don't understand the Catholic faith, but it's the priest that decides whether or not you're worthy to have communion. And if you abort babies, if you believe in abortion, even though the Bible says, behold, I was born... You knew me in my mother's womb. You knit me together. Bible is very clear. These, these unborn babies, they're not globs of nothing cells. This is human life. This is, this is human life. The church ought to go back to the scripture. Wait, I'm filtering everything because the Bible doesn't say abortion. But if you go back to idol worship, you'll know they aborted babies or killed babies and offered them to Molech. M-O-L-E-C-H. Molech. Molech was a tall... A very tall idol in the middle of Molech. There was there was a belly. It passed through. They had a hole in the belly. They, in, the, in the middle of that belly, they had hot coals. They took babies, new babies, and aborted babies, and put them and roasted them on the fire of Molech. Read your Bible. This is not new. There is an attack on the scripture. You might think that the world is trying to attack the church. It's only attacking the church if the church believes in the scripture. And there are many churches that have removed the Bible so they don't feel any spiritual oppression. (laughs) So, what you have here is you have this recognition from Abel. Blood is the way and Cain is subjective. I can do it my way. This is a human flaw That has been with us for a long time. It came from the first family. The dysfunctional first family. Where Adam doesn't want to say anything. Eve is already running the house. Cain kills his brother. Murder in the first family. Murder in the first family. And not just murder, but a curse. You're out. Now you're even going to be further out. And now we have to start over. This happened before there was any any technological tools. If it happened with them without any of the influences, don't think you are above being tempted, being flawed, and having things out of order. Go back to what I just said. Change your your thinking. I got to think holy. I got to think right. I got to filter everything through the scripture. This, I preached this weeks ago. Your salvation is serious business. You should seek out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Your salvation should be more important than what you eat at a restaurant, what car you're driving, where you go, what clothes you're wearing, what house and what job and career, anything. Your salvation... Because all the things I just mentioned will fade away. But your salvation is your eternal soul that will not die. Your body will waste away, but your soul will not waste away. Your knees might be hurting, but your soul is an an eternal entity. You will have awareness and consciousness. The fall. You see how, you see, we haven't even gone anywhere. We're just at the top of the page. But we have a plan. It's a preliminary plan. Because, And I say that because this redemption plan is going to take a long time to materialize. It's going to take a couple thousand years to materialize. And in that redemption plan, it's going to entail all mankind. It's going to stretch itself out. So from Genesis all the way down to Malachi, we have a trail of blood, except from Genesis down to Malachi, we have a distortion of the sacrifice. Which, which basically means it started pure and it ended impure. Of course, this is why we know that evolution is a lie. Because we're always supposed to evolve to a higher plane when really we're devolving all the time. <laughs> we always start better than, we always end up worse than we started. We were started good and then we end up bad. And this is what happened in Malachi. In Malachi, instead of bringing a spotless lamb like they were commissioned to do. Go find the perfect lamb. And even they would raise the lambs and the oxen and the goats and put them in special places so that there was no mark on them. They would bind their feet up so that they would not have any scars. That is a sacrificial lamb. We're keeping that lamb. That is the one that we will present before the Lord. But by the time you get to Malachi, they were presenting God with lambs that were blind, crippled, mangy, had disease, the worst of their flock. Because they lost the whole idea and the intent. And so because of that, God cut them off. And you find 400 years God didn't speak. There's not a prophet, there's not a priest, there's not a godly man, there's not a judge. Nobody. It is a dead silence. All they have is a couple of planks to bridge the old testament to the new testament and the reason why is because god's good i'm going to tell you in your darkest hour god's still good I'll give you one of the planks. One of the planks is there's a whole bunch of people gathered around a pool. And once a year, an angel comes down and stirs the water. And Jesus is on the scene. And one man's been there for a long time. He said, every time I try to get into the stirring waters, someone beats me to it. And Jesus looks down and says, hey, I'm the healer right here. You don't need the water. That stirring of the water is a plank from the Old Testament to the New because God always provides a way. And there it is, silence, and they devolved. And of course, if you're reading the prophets, you'll notice that all of Jerusalem had been pillaged now and it had been plundered and multiple different kingdoms had taken it over. And finally, after the final lamb is offered, this is Jesus Christ. His blood is the only atoning blood because it's perfect blood. And in that final lamb, you recognize the deity of Jesus Christ and the only person that the Bible ever presents as a God, the deity of Jesus Christ. He is both God and man. In the Old Testament, you find God as a spirit. He is the father in creation. But that spirit invests himself into Mary. Mary is the virgin that produces the Son of God. The Bible does not say that the Father overshadowed Mary. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. Which indicates that the Holy Ghost and the Father is just the same term, different terms for the same Spirit. If there are three different persons three different entities, then the Father should have overshadowed Mary. Thus, in our concept verbiage, Father denotes predecessor, Son. Jesus, the man, had a beginning. He's not the eternally begotten Son. That means he was always begotten. That's an oxymoron. Eternally begotten means he's always been created. That's not true. He had a beginning. So you have the Spirit overshadowed Mary, producing Jesus. And Jesus said, I and my Father are one. When you see me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the only image that you'll ever see of the Spirit. In fact, he's the express image of the Spirit in bodily form. And why did God present it that way? Because God had to come to die. He came to die for our sins. But his Spirit, even Jesus said, does not have flesh and blood as he see me have. Touch me and see. Are you all with me now? So I, I, I can't move past the lamb because the lamb is God manifested in the flesh. And the only way he can be perfect is if he's God. Jesus is God. And the Pharisees, it clicked with them. When Jesus said, I am, and I am. Uh, 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 you can't say that. You can't say I am. That's what God said to Moses at the burning bush. When Moses said, who are you? God said, I am, that I am. You can't say that Jesus you're not the I am and then Jesus went further and said before Abraham was I am Well, how could you predate Abraham because the spirit inside of me? All of God all of man dual nature here. He is Jesus Christ He's walking on water and he's sleeping a boat. God doesn't need to sleep, but the body does He's thirsty, but he's he's the river of living water God doesn't thirst, but the body thirsts. He's hungry, but he's the bread of life. God's not hungry, but the man, Christ Jesus, he got hungry. He's tempted in every measure. God's not tempted, but Jesus, the man, was tempted. He had to overcome the devil. God's already God. He doesn't even overcome, but the, but the man had temptation. God and man, God and man. Jesus was God and man and the lamb. How were you redeemed with, ladies and gentlemen? You were not redeemed with tradition from your fathers or with silver and gold. But the Bible says you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. He was a lamb without blemish and without spot. In fact, John, when he saw Jesus, he said this, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Proclamation. He's like the town crier. You ever heard of the town crier? We got a couple kids in our church that are town criers. They just run by me yelling, Pastor Arbo! That's a pastor. If you need identification, or if I need identification, there's a couple children in our church that will yell out who I am. They will not stop to talk to me. John the Baptist. And here is the lamb. And the final lamb is the only lamb that counts. Now you can look at it multiple ways, but in the Old Testament when they brought the lamb... And they, and, and they offered the lamb, and the high priest brought the blood. The blood was on the altar. The blood was in the molten sea, the pool of water. And then the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, which was the Ark of the Covenant. The cloud came down, consumed the blood. That was the sacrifice. The finality of the blood was on the Ark of the Covenant. That's the finality. Blood, blood, blood. Got it? And the last time the blood, it was accepted. When Peter got up and said, repent, that's the death. You die. You have to die. In fact, it's good for you to die all the time. In fact, Paul said, I die daily. Sometimes it's good. In the middle of the day, to said, Lord, forgive me. If you can't think of what you've done wrong, just make it good. Lord, forgive me. Don't say, Lord, forgive me about what I'm about to do. That doesn't work. That's like people who know they're gonna eat pizza and they, they have the medicine before they have an acid. Now, what is what's going on here? I'm gonna eat bad, so I'm gonna sit and take some medicine. You repent, you die daily. The water, that's baptism. That that is the that is the recognition of the molten sea. You've got the art, you've got the you've got the altar of sacrifice, you have the molten sea. It's repentance. It's baptism, and this is all through the Bible. Baptism is all through the Bible. Jesus said, except you're born again of water and of the Spirit, you can't see the kingdom of God, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Paul looked at people in Acts 19 and said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? He did not tell them they were not believers. He recognized these are believers, Acts 19. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we don't even know what you're talking about. He didn't say you were sinners, he said you were believers And he did not leave the believers alone. He said, okay, well then, you have to be, how were you baptized? They said, we were baptized to repentance. He said, wait, 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 wait. John preached, you should be baptized in Jesus' name. and, And this is exactly what Paul did. He baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then he laid his hands on those 12 disciples of John. And they received the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says, they spake with tongues. What is it? Repentance, that's death. The molten sea, that's burial. And the Ark of the Covenant, that's the Holy Spirit. The downflow of the Holy Spirit, which is the resurrection. It all culminated right there. The final lamb. If you, if you deconstruct the scripture, which I'm not really trying to deconstruct it, but, but if you can deconstruct it, you have to look into some of these areas where God gave a type or exampleships. We would call them types and shadows. And the Old Testament is filled with types and shadows. But things got distorted in the second second century church and the third century church. But you have to go back to the first century church to understand the concept. Because after the death of the Lamb, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 50 days later came the birth of the church. This is now the church. Now, of course, I want to say this Because many people talk to me about the thief on the cross. Well, well, pastor, if you have to be baptized, what about the thief on the cross? He wasn't baptized. That's right. He was not baptized because he was in the old covenant. The Bible says that the covenant doesn't take place until the death of the testator. That means when you die, then the testament is now enacted. Well, the testator hasn't died. He's on the cross with the thief. The thief is not baptized, but neither was Abraham. Why? Because in the, the, they're in the Old Testament, a covenant. But after Jesus dies and the birth of the church begins 50 days later, now Jesus has already set the table and he said everyone's got to be baptized, born again of water and spirit. And that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. Peter preached the death, the burial, and the resurrection. He preached you must repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for, remember last week, for the remission of sins, to obtain the remission of sins. So the thief on the cross got to slide in with Abraham and Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Elisha and Elijah and the prophets. He was at the end, the very end. Man, if you want to get in the end, that guy was the smartest guy. Today you're with me in paradise. Where are you going? We're going to go hang out with the patriarchs and the matriarchs. But the birth of the church is going to set a new dispensation. In fact, in Acts 17, the Bible says God winked at ignorance. He winked at it. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. You don't get the option. You must repent. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. So the birth of the church comes. Now we are in the church age. And the church age has been going pretty strong for a long time. It's seen a lot of opposition. And it saw opposition even in the first five decades of the church. There were saints living in Nero's household. (laughs) I want to preach about that again. But I'm not going to do it tonight. The birth of the church. The church suffered a lot of persecution. In fact, the early church suffered more persecution than we have ever seen. None of us have ever known any persecution like the early church persecution. I have a feeling that if the Lord tarries... We might get familiar with what it takes to stand up for righteousness and holiness. And when you build your walls of conviction, don't think for a moment that the devil will be happy with you. Just to proclaim the name of Jesus is going to be an offense. And I have it in the Bible. Jesus said, you'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Amen. Now we go back to the divine design, because ultimately, at the very end, we will reunite in communion with God. Ultimately, at the end of that moment, there will be a rapture. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There will be a rapture of the church. We will be, there will be a resurrection and a life to come. And we will have communion. We will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. We will be joint heirs. We are joint heirs with him. There will be a final declaration. There will be a judgment upon the earth. And the divine design has always been communion with Jesus Christ. So I just, I say this boldly, but I hope this is not crass. Don't play games with your walk with God. Don't try to see how close to the world you can get. Why would you do that? Whatever the enjoyment is, it's temporary anyway. Why would you do that? The Lord's coming back very soon. And so you, you want to be in communion with God. And, and, and uh, instead of, instead of find, thinking about what you permit yourself to do, as the Speaker of the House has done, even though all of the authorities in her religious belief has decried abortion, she said, I can make up my own mind. Well, you can't make up your own mind. You don't get to choose the scripture. You don't get to choose what you obey and you don't obey. This is God's word. So pardon me if this sounds a little crass. Who are you that you think you can change the Bible to fit into your lifestyle? You never adjust the Bible to your life. You always adjust your life to the Bible. You never adjust your, 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 the scripture to how you feel. That, in, in a, in a, in a, in a technical sense, we, we might even term that modernism. If you think the Bible was just for some other age, we would call that relativism. Cultural relativism. Well, that's just for those people. That's not for us. Wait a second. Yes, it is for you. In fact, the Bible says these things were written for our admonition. For our exampleship. And if we're going to get to health, we have to know how the scripture leads us and guides us. And in that, in that construct of the scripture comes all of the principles for life. Everything that I know comes from the Bible. In fact, anything that I would read outside the Bible has got to be, it's it's got to lay on top of the scripture, underneath the scripture, whatever, in in whatever way you want to, to phrase that. And it's got to line up with the Bible. Even if you have a word for me, it's gotta line up for the Bible. How I'm living, it's gotta line up for the Bible. How I raise my children or treat my wife or how they, how, allow, how I allow my children to treat me, it's gotta be according to the scripture. <laughs> oh boy. The, these things can't be taken lightly because this is the core of our belief. The Bible is, is what you know. About God. He gave it to us. And we've got to obey it. We've got to follow it. It's gotta be true. It's gotta be right. It's not up to me. It's up to the scripture. Amen. Um Wow, okay. How are we doing? Are we okay? Sometimes Tammy. Tells me things at the wrong time. And right before we go to sleep, she'll give me some news. She's just dozing off. Oh, by the way, our friends from Texas had a car accident. Everybody died. Good night. No. <laughs> Thank you. Your wife does that too? And I, my eyes are wide open. I'm just, I, my heart rate goes up. Oh God, what happened? What happened? She's asleep. This is a gift she gives to me. She gives me gifts of horrible news right before I go to bed. Um, I've always wanted to know when is the best time to give bad news? When is the best time? And I found out there's no good time to give bad news. But there are levels of time. Like right before a celebration, a birthday, a wedding, this is not the time right before the preaching, this is not the time. There are times, there's really no good time, but there are levels when you ought not share really bad news. And you should not share bad news with your spouse right before they go to sleep. just, Just try to be kind. This is not kindness. And there's, there's some good news and some bad news. And then there's another category that I learned years ago called the good, the bad, and then there's the ugly. And, 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 and when, when you get to that ugly, you know it's worse than the bad, right? The good, uh, the bad, then you got the ugly. Now, if anyone says I got good, bad, and ugly, this is already I don't want to hear anything. I just, I don't even want to hear the good. Because I know when you get down with the good, you want to the bad. And some pe- people even say, what would you like to have first, the good or the bad? As if this choice alleviates what you're going to say bad. And I just say, I don't want anything. I, I don't want to hear anything. Just walk away from me right now. <laughs> so I got, some, I got some good for you. The good is that you have the Bible. You have a church. You have Freedom you have the holy spirit there's a lot of good the bad is that not everybody takes advantage of what they have and the ugly is that one of these days you won't have the opportunity that you have that's going to be real ugly and there are priorities that we set on what we want what we do and we think well i you know i want to go somewhere i get a lot out of it i i like you know wait a second Every time we're in the word, we ought to be grasping and gaining and focusing our mind to rethink. And we're training our mind to think. Now, I won't, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back through this a little bit next week, but let's just look at the family. Let's look at the family. Because I, as I talked to you about the family, the husband and the wife, the family, husband and the wife. Now, I know what I know where I'm at, and I know there's blended families here. I know there's unfortunate situations in people's lives. I know there's been marriage and divorce here in our church. I've got all that. We're ministering to everyone. I just want you to know what I'm trying to do for your children and your grandchildren. I'm trying to set them up so that they are acutely aware of how important it is to choose the right spouse, do it with honor and respect, and, and find someone that will... Walk this life of faith with them. I don't know how you came about. And there's no, if, you, if, if you're in the church and you've given God your heart, praise God. Start where you are. I just want you to know what we're trying to do throughout this whole campus. With our children, with our teenagers, with our young adults. And I hope that that's okay with you. Because that's what we're going to do. And if it's not okay, I, that's what we're going to do. The family structure is the unit by which all societies are built upon. The man and the woman, the husband and the wife. That is the structure. All societies, all all construction, all institutions are built upon that item, man and woman. Husband and wife. These are distinctive roles that God set in order. And that family was designed to create children or to procreate. This was the design of God. To procreate. So you've got marriage and you've got children. You've got a mother, a father, father, mother. you got son or daughter or multiple children. This is the structure. And... If that structure is correct, if that structure is designed in a way where it's healthy, every other area of life and society, and believe it or not, the church, is healthy. If that home, which I'm calling the family, the, the husband, the wife, the children, if it's unhealthy, everything else is out of sync and out of order. So what we want to do is we want to, we, we need to go back to, the construct of the home to find out how to make that better and how to make it healthy and we do it through order and we do it through structure on your handout it's order and it's structure and, it, and a home or a marriage or children that are out of order or out of structure that is that's like a disease and it you don't ever see it you, you, don't. I shouldn't say this you, sometimes you see it early on but it, you always see it later in life so you have to go back to the order and the structure of the home when there's order in the home you've got to find out where do I get the order and what is the order well that's why I go back to the scripture to find out how to construct your home this is a daily work it's a work in process. It is filled with challenges. It will have internal and external challenges always. You may do real well for a while, then real bad. for an. It, sometimes it's like a roller coaster, but you never quit trying. You always do your very best to have a healthy marriage and healthy children. And you do it through order and you do it through structure. And within that family comes this exampleship of roles. I, I, I'm going to be teaching about the table uh, to some folks that I know at the table. At the table, we learned who dad was and who mom was. We learned how to serve at the table. At the table, we learned how to pause and pray for the food. We learned that there were some foods That we didn't really enjoy, but they were prepared. And so we ate even the foods that we didn't always enjoy. We learned how to say thank you at the table. We learned how to have conversation at the table. We learned structure at the table. My father would not allow us to come to church, come to the table without being fully dressed at the table. No, you boys put on a shirt. You're not coming to the table. We learn how to set the table. We learn how to clean the dishes. (laughs) We learn how to talk about life. We learn how to argue at the table and defend our positions at the table. We learn when to be quiet. And when we didn't learn that lesson, we learned the velocity of a salt shaker. We learned. (laughs) Exampleship and roles. And within the family structure, that's where roles need to be exampled. The problem is, we have a whole society that wants someone else to teach the family the roles and the structure. And we have a welfare mentality. You take care of me. Because I'm alive. This is the mentality of many people today throughout the world. And you, you might pick on them, but it happens in the church. I'm dropping my kids off at the church. Train them to be spiritual. Well, I brought them to church. I thought if I gave them to the youth leaders, they would come home with godly principles. No. No. The youth team... Cannot combat one hour a week what happens in your home seven days a week, 24 hours a day. After they are filled with junk that we allow our children to have, then we are wondering what's wrong with my 18-year-old, my 15-year-old. I'll tell you what's wrong with him. You fed them a a daily diet of worldliness. And now you're wanting to know, why are they feeling this way? Why do I, because you didn't sit down with a table and open up your Bible and say, Hey, let's talk about, let's talk about the Lord. Hey, how did, how did it go today? Well, no, that's not the right attitude to have. No, you need to be more kind. Well, then you shouldn't have answered that way. Well, listen, we have to be, we have to love people, even if they're unlovable. Do you know how many times I've heard these statements just made in, in my home the last week? Many, many times. Will you serve one another. Well, this is how we're supposed to act. It doesn't matter if, if your dad's a preacher. That doesn't make, make any difference. You're a Christian first. <laughs> you want me to go on? I, I think what I'm going to do next week is just take a video, a hidden camera video of my table, and they'll all watch the Harpo family interact. And you'll some of you walk away and say, I think we're doing pretty good. Look how dysfunctional they <laughs> Say it ain't so, Pastor. Uh-huh. Well, who, who's going to set the table? I did it last week. Why do we need a spoon? Because <laughs> that's how we do it. This is how we do it. Do you know how fast a meal can be consumed? I talked to a Jewish lady and her daughters once. I said, tell me about your Sabbath meal. Oh, she said, we prepare all this food. And in 15 minutes, she said, it's gone. She said, it takes hours and hours and hours every week. And in 15 minutes after we pray, we light the candle. When they start eating, it's gone. And I said, do you ever get discouraged? He said, oh no. Because within the preparation comes the training and the identification of who we are. I'll never forget that conversation. Within the preparation comes the training and the identity of who we are. And what... And what is is it that we have? What is it that we have? Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have Sunday morning, and it's coming. And on Saturday night, I'll tell you what happened in our home. You better get your clothes ready, because Sunday is on its way. And we ain't got time to iron all your stuff and wash all your clothes. And you kids are old enough, let's lay it out. What are you wearing tomorrow? What are you wearing tomorrow? Now, that doesn't work for Tammy because she changes outfits several times before she comes to church. Whatever I see her wearing at 8.30 in the morning, it's not the same thing as I see her wearing at 10 o'clock. But you know what? We just give our wives a pass. And all the men say amen. Just let it alone, okay? Just let that alone. I'm trying to help you. And then the family comes this thing we call, I'll end here, it's called the kingdom plan. This is the kingdom plan. The family is the kingdom plan. Because what happens to us is that We have our individual family and then we have this family of God. Now everyone has the same blood. Now the same blood because we're covered by the same blood. Now the kingdom plan is that all the families have God in their homes and not just God at this place. And they're exercising spiritual thinking and spiritual principles and concepts there. They have walls around their their homes, their marriages, their life boundaries. And then they bring all that purity and that wealth and that praise. And by the time they get into the house, corporate worship, the family of God comes in. And when people walk in that are not a part of the family, the first thing they should feel is safety, love, acceptance, and a spirit they can't identify. But if the home is not correct, then what we're doing is we're spending the first 20 minutes trying to get everybody's mind in tune. So the first 20 minutes is designated to, to the worship and the songs. And by the time they get done with that song, now listen, I grew up in Pentecost. I know this, how this goes. I know how this goes. And we sometimes we have real long worship services. And just right before the preaching, the praise starts breaking out. Now, it doesn't bother me because I was the drummer. That was, I was happy. Let's just, I'll, I can beat those drums all night long. I didn't even have a cymbal till my grandmother went and bought a $65 cymbal at the store. Then I had one cymbal. Then I got a hi-hat. It was so great. And then Scott got on the organ. And man, we would just jam out all night long. We weren't speaking in tongues. We did that later when my mom laid hands on us, but, but we were playing music. <laughs> And I I remember all those wonderful services, and they were awesome. They were so good. But it always, it it never ceased to amaze me. It took about 30, 40 minutes for people to finally warm up. Why? Because they were cold when they walked in. There was no preparation for the meal that was going to be served. I'm going to tell you about the kingdom plan. The kingdom plan is for you to go to your home, for you to put God in that home, you put on some Christian music and open up your Bible, even if you don't read it. Just open up your Bible, put it right in the middle of the dining room table, put it right wherever, put it on the counter, just set it right up there, just put it right there, just random, just whatever random. I mean, I mean, if it lands on Judas hanging himself and his bowels gushing out, then change it over here to a psalm or something. Just put, just set that thing right down like that. It's, it's, here's the, here's his plan. You go have kingdom God, kingdom work in your home. You have the Lord in your home. You don't reserve him for the church. You... You have a family time where the Spirit of the Lord moves in. And you start thinking about what you're saying to your, to your wife and to your husband and to your children. You start thanking the Lord. And you guide through the principles and the precepts of the Scripture. And you start building walls. Well, we, we don't, we're not going to go over there because that will hurt us. In fact, when the walls are done, then you get the Bible out and say, Let's remember where we came from and what the law of the Lord is. Okay. I'm done. I'm not done, but I have to stop here. Now, if you don't bring your page next week, we'll have, we'll have another page, but it'll cost you a dollar. Okay. Please stand with me now. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for all the precious people that hear this word, both at home and here in the house. I pray that you would bless it. Help us, Lord, as we strive for your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that your work would be done in this house and among our families and our friends. Let our children, our grandchildren be blessed, but the people around us be blessed, Lord. Help us to know your word. Make us To love it, Lord, and help us to have a desire to be spiritually minded and not carnally minded. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.